Hello and welcome to part three, and this is going to be the final part, at least for the short term, of the liberalism debate. Yep. And uh, the only reason we're going to stop it here is because we could carry this on for ages, and I thought it would be good to talk about some other things for once. Um, but hopefully this is going to bring some sort of resolution. I think we've um, talked amongst ourselves off camera to try and um, resolve some of the points we raised last time so there's a bit of continuity between the parts it might even be worthwhile re-watching you know perhaps even the end of the the second part just so it's fresh in your mind what we're going to be talking about but I suppose we may as well start there because of course we're we're all well versed in each other's positions more or less now I think um we, we've talked a fair amount about the sort of abstract stuff and I think the general theme um, I, I want to get nailed down is practical things, talking about real world political systems and things like that, or, mm -hmm. you know, things that are rooted in, in the real world that are a bit more material, um, just because they were quite abstract. I know Connor doesn't like that word, materialism. Ooh, scary. No, it's not, it's not that, but we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I can't quite remember what it was that the last thing. I think it was a question for Stelios. I did, yeah. I posed, I posed two questions to Stelios at the end of the last one. Um, I wanted to ask at the time, how is it that liberalism and Marxism don't share the same values of equality and freedom? And how are you going to stop political liberalism, the kind that you want to advance, from once again being linguistically subverted and extrapolated out to the kind of comprehensive liberalism that Carl and I believe we're living under now. And we were finishing on Carl and Stelios going back and forth. I think Stelios said that Carl was being Hegelian. That was, uh, that was where we stopped it. <laughs> yes, and I can give uh, an argument for this. So I, I, w I will give you responses, but yep. let me just say I, I really enjoyed part two and also part two seems to have resonated with the audience a bit more. Um, I see from the comments they liked it much more and we were audible. <laughs> okay, um, so let me just say, I think there is a pattern in our discussions and it starts in the following way. Stage one is the other team says something <laughs> like teams, uh, classical liberalism uh, leads inexorably to wokeness or to comprehensive liberalism. I I'll call it wokeness. You can call it comprehensive liber liberalism. Our team says that this is a misreading of the tradition. The response is, well, misreading or not, it has led to what we are living right now. <clears throat> and we agree that a lot of the social phenomena we see right now are problematic and our team says no. Now I want to say exactly why I think this is, why I defend my negative answer to this and it will tie to your, to, to your questions. Now for it to, what I deny is not the state, the, is the statement basically that classical liberalism morphed into comprehensive liberalism or wokeness. Why I deny this? I'm not denying that there is such a thing as wokeness or comprehensive liberalism. I am denying that there was, that the statement classical liberalism morphed into contemporary liberalism is true because for me it suggests a kind of continuity that wasn't there. So to my mind, for that statement to be true, it would have to be the case that the majority of supporters of classical liberalism in the pre-woke era, in the before, turned into supporters of wokeism. 
and remain supporters of wokeism. Mm. I don't think this happened. And it seems to me that it shows something on the methodology that the other team that you are using. But that's not our methodology, though. I don't think we're we're not saying that. We're not saying the majority and of people switch their ideas overnight. We're saying that there are distinct thinkers that use the liberal tradition to subvert it from within. And then people after them took their presuppositions without knowing that they had been subverted. Which is why I think it is more of an abstract way of thinking about it, rather than looking at the concrete movement of classical liberalism and the classical liberal instincts in people. I don't deny that what you're saying happened. Hmm. It did happen. Now, to answer briefly your questions, you cannot guard against conceptual subversion anything. So whenever we put terms and concepts in order to justify a particular position, it is always the case that the other side will say, well, you're in favor of community, for instance. How do you understand community? You're understanding, as, understanding community as X, but there's another way of viewing it, community is Y, and uh, you're actually not in favor of community, and I'm gonna be the agent that is gonna realize the true community. So in the same way that people can take the terms liberty and equality and subvert it, they can take any concept. And for instance, they could definitely say, well, conservatives, for instance, classical conservatives are talking about a community, but their community is a mistaken view of it. It still leads us into being unsituated individuals. True community is what happens in communism. So you're not true conservatives. That That's gonna be a particular kind of argument. If someone told you this, you would be incredibly justified in saying, well, the kind of community I was talking about is not communism. The kind of community I was talking about is the community I have been talking about for centuries explicitly, in the same way that uh, thinkers in the classical conservative tradition have. They are explicit about it. So you are twisting words. So in that respect, it, it seems to me that you can never guard against conceptual subversion in any concept. This is a feature of thinking. It is a feature of how, for instance, you're raising objection to a position. This is, um, can I build on that just ever so slightly? It's not going to take very long. Um, I, I was just going to say that I think you made a point um, similar to this one, whereby you were saying that liberalism has um, some unique problems about it that makes it prone to subversion to Marxism. Is, am I basically paraphrasing yes. that right? So I, what I wanted to pose to you, sorry if this is too much to bear in mind, um, but I think that the fact that the countries that did actually become, you know, Marxist countries, and the notable examples being Russia and China, neither of which were liberal, and we had Karl Marx in London, you know, the man himself, and we didn't feel threatened by him because we had a confidence in our, our political system okay. and its integrity in which we felt like it couldn't be subverted. And of course, it's also worth mentioning as well um, that Russia and China didn't have atomized communities. They had very communal communities. Russia didn't. Um, Not did China, really. Um, well, they had rural village life, didn't they? That's <clears throat> the it, 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 this, this is what Gramsci is talking about when he says, in the West, the state is girded by a, or protected by, a secure 
series of forts and ramparts and ditches in the fact that we have a strong civil society. Russia never had a strong civil society. I mean, this mm-hmm. is China. But that's, right? the, when the, I say community, I, I mean at the sort of ground level, right? Not necessarily sure, maybe, at maybe a Maybe in a small village, but even mm-hmm. then, it's not what we would call a sort of civil society when we speak on a national term. And that's what they recognise. That's why revolutions work in places like Russia or China, but they were never going to work in England in particular, right? Can I, can I, I was going to say, I think you're using community <clears throat> and feudal structure interchangeably there because you're well, conceiving feudal of... Feudal structure is slightly different, right? Sorry to, to interject, but um, <clears throat> I, I was just going to say that I, I just mean a conventional rural village, basically. They had very yeah. Uh, rural, agrarian, yeah, that's, that's what I think close-knit I think, communities. No, no, I think you're conflating the two. I think, yes, the structure was smaller little hamlets from which they had an an agricultural economy but the way that the people thought about each other and themselves was very different than Mm. the way that people thought about each other and themselves in England in the feudal period and the difference that we're saying is liberalism can be subverted via the long march for the institutions of a kind of cultural Marxism the two examples that you've brought up were a vanguard group going in and violently overthrowing weakened institutions it's not the same phenomena the the reason the revolution wasn't going to happen in the west is because people in the west actually believed and supported the believed in and supported the institutions institutions as in they could try and overthrow the british state but the british public would resist it and so they wouldn't be successful i mean i do agree with that but also <clears throat> i don't understand um why you're bringing up feudalism at all i don't really understand well the, it's not really about whether it's a close-knit community or not it, what what it's really about is does the society support the institutions that govern over the society and in china very much less so even russia even less than that these are well known to be weak Oriental or Eastern uh, countries. And so it's possible in a period of turbulence and instability that England had gone 300 years without for them to just, you know, knock over the state and impose whatever revolutionary government they want. But the thing is, that doesn't connect to what we're saying about the communists attacking liberalism. Because what is clear is that the communists, by the turn of the 20th century, were kind of despondent. Like the communism they wanted wasn't coming to the West because we had traditional societies that worked really, really well, that people felt invested in and could actually prosper in. And so they lashed out in all sorts of ways, desperately trying to attempt things. In Russia, you got the revolution. In Italy, you ended up with fascism. In here, over here, you got the Fabian Society, and you got various other method, uh, various other sort of manifestations of this. And in America, this ends up manifesting as critical race theory. And it's not, I think, that saying, well, anything's open to conceptual subversion, essentially, is a, an argument that defeats itself. Because it's like, okay, well, then why would I agree to anything, right? Hang on a second. So why why would I agree to anything, right? Because I'll just be like, well, I'll just twist it to whatever I want it to be, and therefore suddenly we've eradicated the categories of thinking that we use. And so, actually, no, I don't agree that anything is actually open to be subverted into anything else. I think that things have to be sub- can be subverted only in line with the existing logic that they use. Because if you would say, okay, I'm going to subvert uh, Whitehall to be a Nazi paradise, it's predicated on being anti-Nazism. You know, it's predicated on being against the Germans in World War II. That's the, that's the mythology of Britain in the 20th century. So there's just no way you're going to subvert the British state with Nazism because it's just totally outside of the bounds of the logic that the British state uses. Right? And the, the reason that the communists could spend so many decades working out how to break liberalism is because they were operating within the existing logic of liberalism. And so the problem isn't, well, you know, how do we... 
how do we make sure that you know it's not necessarily that <clears throat> it is inevitable that this happens the question is now this has happened what can classical liberalism do to defend itself it turns out very little actually the reason that these people got everywhere is not because of force of arms it's force of argument mm. and so they came to someone and said look you're a racist and they're like oh god i don't want to be a racist because they already thought that was bad because liberalism had already set them up to but think you've, that. you've just refuted your own argument here haven't you because um, for one, I, I want to, before I forget to say, I don't think feudalism is anything to do with what I'm saying. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll follow up. I think it's a bit of a red herring. But um, Hang on, so, no, no, hang on. You can't say that. Come on. Right. The reason, no, no, it's not a red herring. The reason is you gave Russia and China as examples of successful revolutions mm -hmm. from Marxism. They weren't revolutions against the liberal state. So there's... The Russia wasn't feudal then. It was. Uh, I think it was. There were, there, Emancipation of the serfs, 1886 or 1860. Yeah, so it was about 20 years. Yeah, it's, it's been like it's still well, a large hangover. 30, they weren't industrialized. The industrialization period only came, and the centralization okay, of cities. Okay. It, Josh, why basically are you, why It's basically a feudal country, and China definitely was. So. Well, uh, the point I was making is yeah. that they had very um, robust communities that were um, sub Mitted to subversion, and it's nothing to do with it wasn't the, the superstructural um, thing of society. Community is on, on the ground level, um, but what you, what you were saying um, earlier to move on to something else is that ultimately what happened is that the communist communists figured out how to subvert faith in in the political system, right? No, the, the faith in the political system had collapsed anyway because of the weak rule of the Tsars. And then the Tsar is overthrown, the provisional government was put in. There's no faith in the provisional I, government. I mean in, in Britain for the, the subversion to have taken place here in that we had a right. strong civil society. There wasn't liberalism to begin with in, in Russia, right? No, no, of course not. So in Britain, hmm. people had faith in the institutions because they work. And slowly over time, um, Marxists infiltrated them what? and then... Um, made people lose faith in the system. So how? Hang on, um, no, it's it's the, this didn't begin in Britain. That's the point. Of, of course, the, yeah. the 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 end the, the the subversion of liberalism began in America. It was actually quite difficult to subvert liberalism in Britain because honestly, we're not really a liberal country. We're actually a lot more of a traditional country. It's just that our traditions are what liberalism is based on. So it kind of looks like we're liberals, but like when you when you get down to like you know. Um, you know the end of aristocracy um separation between church and state and things like that britain just isn't that right we're not we're actually still a traditional country which having american liberalism kind of imposed on us because it feels like it should really work but um but the point being in america the it begins there because of weaknesses in civil rights law that are weaknesses of liberal interpretations of what civil rights can be and in if in the defense of liberalism, it's the liberal interpretation of civil rights that won over the communist interpretation of civil rights, which is good. But the communists were then sat there for 50 years like, OK, well, I'm not going to have this. And so they were allowed to operate in the universities. They worked out a very clever formula to essentially explode the liberal view of civil rights and turn it into a positive right. And now we end up where we are now. But I think that what you touched on here, and I, I don't think you would disagree, maybe you might do um, somewhat, is that part of the reason it doesn't work so well anymore is that people lost faith in it. In that you, I think political systems only really work, and this is my view of all political systems, yeah, yeah. If, if the people I, believe in them, right? Yeah. But what, what, what exactly do you mean? Because people do still 
do what the government says. They do still do what the police say, even if they've lost confidence in these institutions. Compliance is um, somewhat different than having some sort of belief in the goodness of something, though, isn't it? Sure. And there is definitely a growing constituency of people who think that. But that's, it seems tangential to what we're discussing. Well, as I saw it, you were suggesting that the... Um, the situation in, say, Russia, China, um, mm. it was because there wasn't th- th- this view of the civil society of, of faith in their institutions mm. um, that was present in Britain. And then something must have changed because our institutions have changed. People don't have this, the same... Well, in, in Britain, um, civil society has decayed. Because you, you've got to remember, in like the Victorian era, there were lots of private societies and they would basically run the country they would do everything that we get the government to do now like everything was run by like your neighbors and little old ladies and stuff like that and you had this like layers of overlapping institutions that were us were our country and then on top of this was the sort of you know official institutions of state and so this was a really strong really well society. you didn't have that in china you didn't have that in russia you had an oppressed society that was oppressed by the you know the emperor or the czar or whoever. I mean, the czar of Russia kept Russia drunk for four hundred years. He had a monopoly on the vodka trade, so all vodka was state-produced vodka to keep people drunk and weak. And so it's just like okay, that's really the opposite of what our society is. Our society is an ennobling society, and so liberalism makes a lot of sense to us. Just whether we think of ourselves as liberals or not, we act in liberal ways, but that's because of the country that we had and the way that it had evolved over time. You obviously just can't have that in Russia or China. And so it's perfectly possible when the states in Russia and China become weak, they can be knocked off by a revolution, but that just can't happen here. There has to be something really deeply wrong with the country for us to want to overthrow our own government, right? And so that wasn't the issue here. And that was what the communists were like, okay, well, that's just not going to work. We have to find something else. And Gramsci identified, well, we've got to attack the society itself. Okay, well, how can that be done? Well, Kimberly Crenshaw actually identified how that could be done through the mechanism of liberalism itself in order to essentially turn the society against itself by claiming that the majority group was in constant a constant state of oppression of the minority groups. And it was already using existing legislation that was already in place or that would be... No, in fact, it probably was already in place. When was when in the eighties? Thatcher put in something, didn't she? Was anti-racial discrimination in Bristol? Oh, I don't know. I, I know what time. you're on about. Yeah, though, yeah. yeah. She, it was in the eighties when Thatcher introduced it. And so Kimberly Crenshaw, by about 1990, has hit on the winning formula, which is to expand the definition of whatever discrimination type you're talking about to include not just procedural discrimination but outcome discrimination. And the liberal really doesn't have much of defence against this, other than kind of like pig-headedly say, "Well, I'm just going to focus on the procedural." I say, "Okay, but the other liberals aren't." And that's not actually persuasive. You know, when you've got a community of, say, the black community or whatever, and they are in fairly dire straits, you can say, well, it's their own fault, but that doesn't solve the problem. And these are well-meaning people, believe it or not, who want to solve the problem, and they think they have the tools to do it. And so this is why the classical liberal loses. I can hear you huffing and puffing, so go ahead. I'm relatively... Uh, calm. So people have to give <laughs> you didn't it. Didn't sound it. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did have to stop yourself a few times. Eh? Yeah, but that's fine. Go in comparison right. to ahead. other to our previous discussions, I'm I'm working on my temper. Okay. Okay. I think we're conflating way too many discussions in one thing, and it's important to take them apart. So, I really think everything is prone to subversion, especially institutional one. 
So for instance, Connor, we have spoken several times about the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. We have talked about the Pope and mm -hmm. the role of the Pope in the Catholic Church. Am I wrong in saying that you think that the Pope right now is promoting wokeness? Yes, explicitly so. Um, but it's, Yes, I'm wrong, or yes, does he promote him? Yes, he does promote wokeness. Yeah. It's strange because he doesn't actually talk a lot about the gospel anymore. That's the way that, okay. in which he does it. So it's it's less subversion and more overt okay. politicization. Okay. Now, there's another issue that um, we are encountering the phenomenon of, let's say, academics or pe people who occupy key places in institutions who are taking key liberal ideals the way they sound and they are using them in order to put forward their views mm. yeah like let's say liberty and autonomy let's let's talk about them. um there are all sorts of explanations we could give as to why this happens now one explanation that it seems you're putting forward is that liberalism is uniquely vulnerable to subversion or perversion. The other interpretation, and there are many, is that liberalism is, and the language of liberalism, because it's about language at the end of the day, the language of liberalism is prone to subversion, but in the same way that all other languages are, all other concepts are. That's not, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but that's, that's not what either of us are saying, right? Mm. Liberalism, it doesn't matter whether liberalism is uniquely vulnerable to subversion or not. It has happened that liberalism yes. has been subverted. Okay, so this, this, is, this is where I disagree. Well, it definitely has. Um, but the, the second point being, well, all language can be subverted. Well, that's just a recourse to, um, we don't need to change anything. Okay. Something has to change. The it, reason why I stress this is because there is such a thing as propaganda, and there is a difference between political rhetoric and one's motivations for pursuing it. Sure. So when we are talking about liberalism has been subverted, I'm phrasing it as the language of liberalism has been subverted, and it is the terms of classical liberalism that have been incorporated in the political rhetoric of a group whose motivations are not classical liberal. So it's basically skin suiting. Um, I was also going to say it's not. I don't want to deviate from the language point because it's worthwhile. But it's also the procedures in and of themselves, because of course political liberalism is a is a doctrine of procedures rather than well. Now, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, the, and and it doesn't want to advance a comprehensive moral doctrine, even though I think we've tried to disentangle that. The problem with the hands off proceduralism of liberalism is that yes, it tries to lend itself away from instantiating an overt state tyranny. But the problem is when it is subverted by the back door by the types of people that want to mutate it into a state tyranny that looks unrecognizable to classical liberalism, it's often paralyzed in enacting by its own standards uh, a resistance against that. I wanted to use the recent example of the protests we see every week. This is why the current government and the Met Police are paralysed from saying, actually, even though these people, the protest started after the massacre on October the 7th, so it wasn't in response to Israeli aggression, and these people have multiple times declared their allegiance with foreign Islamist 
uh, terrorist organizations, so it's an explicit call for violence, they will still turn around and say, but this is their right to free speech and free assembly, and we can't disaggregate the peaceful protesters from the violent people. And, and, and what happens is they convene a committee, they start to debate based on principle, principles that their enemies don't share, and by the time they've made a decision according to the procedure, they've been subverted to such an extent that liberalism is overthrown. And that's the concern. I share the same vision of society as you, but it's vulnerable to being overthrown. I don't know exactly about own. that, but I think that uh, I, I think that I agree with a very large extent of what you're saying. Yeah. So, so I, I don't, I don't see how we get past that overthrowing because I think it has a paralytic element there. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm really happy we're doing this because I think that I, I don't disagree that there is such a thing as, as uh, focusing on procedure to such an extent that it becomes part of the problem and it prevents us from giving some solutions. Um, here I can say several things, but not necessarily in order to to contradict you because mm. to a very large extent we, we agree. So the reason why I am defending classical liberalism and I'm trying very much to pinpoint the what, what I consider to be a willingness to throw away the baby with the bathwater is because when we are trying to understand social ills and our diagnosis of social ills involves the, involves the idea that it is liberty that causes the problem, then the proposed solutions will most likely be anti-liberty. Now, let me say exactly how I integrate this point, because you could argue against me at some point that, well, you're left with a proceduralism. I do think that there is such a thing as, and that is why I have made uh, several claims about this, and we have also done a symposium together on value pluralism, because I think that the same way that some people would promote a society, uh, one value in society, let's say community, that would neglect all of the values is wrong. I think that in the other sense, promoting just liberty alone is problematic. And it does have significant problematic tendencies. And you could say that it leads to a form of lack of vigilance, which could reinforce the complaint you may have, have that a lot of the, the, the likelihood of institutions being subverted is high or higher. I'm, that that may be true. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not. I don't have. Uh, to, I can't contradict you right now. But I'm. Mm -hmm. I'm. I think that to a large extent, it is true. So that is why I have said that I consider myself a conservative liberal. In which sense? In the sense that I do think that there are some other values that need to be promoted as well. And in promoting them, there will be the protest. What you're doing seems to be anti-liberal. The response to that is, in the level, there, there are two different things here. The level of ideas and ideological discussion and the level of politics, which has to do with how, how um, convincing some arguments sound. I do think that with respect to the first one, there is such a thing, uh, you can definitely argue against this. Now, if this argument wins at the end of the day, I don't know. I, I would be a, a liar if I told you I do know. So that is my angle. I think that when it comes to the level of 
the, the intellect and the level of the argument, you can definitely say that classical liberalism hasn't been about just promote liberty at all costs, for instance, because it has a lot, uh, it focuses on criminal punishment. When you focus on criminal punishment, you are restricting someone's liberties. Now, of course, you say it's not true liberty in the normative sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not true liberty to go and kill other people. But in a descriptive sense, you are actually restricting the liberty of people for security. So if we look, so that's what I'm saying, that if we look at actual politics and the actual movement, we will see people who had more of a pluralistic approach with respect to the values that they were putting, that they were claiming to defend within the tradition. So for instance, it would be security and liberty and family and tradition and, and, and. And in promoting, for instance, security, you are taking measures that may seem to some people illiberal. Uh, think of the wokeists' uh, um, relation to law enforcement. So I think that these are two separate discussions. You can definitely uh, win the argument in the intellectual sense against subvertists. How convincing that will be right now, I don't know and I don't have the answers. And I definitely appreciate your concerns. I don't... The reason um, I don't know if they are separate is because, as I've said before, conservative liberalism, there's inherent antagonism there. And I think that's what value pluralism tries to mediate. It takes values that have opposing goals that are both desirable and tries to reconcile them. Yes. I think the problem we're trying to highlight is that stripping away some of the ancillary values, like I, I don't know if community is necessarily a value other than just a, a way that humans organize. No, it so, can be a value. It, it can be a value. It's not for liberalism. You can, it yeah. could be a value yeah. for yeah. someone else. You get it as a sort of personality disposition in a sense, <laughs> right. um, in that you're community disposed, right? Okay, right. Um, Sorry. No, 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 thanks. Uh, I think what they do is, is they say, right, okay, we have these values and we'll, we recognize that you value those too. And actually we aren't satisfied about trying to get harmonious balance. We want to bring them to their full apotheosis. If you don't bring them to their full apotheosis, you're falling short of your potential. And actually we're just more honest than better than you. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.